Everyone, good morning. How are you? You want to say hello to those with the live stream watching at home or later on in the week. My name's Andrew, one of the ministers here. I just have a couple of announcements for us this morning. The first is, this coming Saturday, we are having an event just called the Enneagram in Parenting. Uh, if you know what the Enneagram is, fantastic. If you don't, that's okay. You'll learn about it on Saturday. Uh, but our thing is, if you are a parent, thinking about being a parent, a new parent, an old parent, or you help parent someone else, this event is for you. It's free. Uh, you can find out all the details online, but there's already been a great showing as far as those who've registered already. Uh, just going to be a fantastic event, just how to be a better parent, even if you're not a parent yourself. So mark your calendar in this very room, 9 a.m. this coming Saturday. Also, uh, we're trying out something newish. Uh, if you are new to Southwest, if, whether this is your first Sunday with us, or if you have uh, come to Southwest for the first time, sometime in the last few months, uh, we want to offer a easy way to get to know you, or at least get to know you better. So, if this is you, or if you're watching at home and you've not made it to the building yet, we still want to get to know you. So, text the word NEW to this number up on the screen, and we'll be in touch with you directly. And that's going to stay up on the screen for a while, uh, while I pray for us as we uh, kind of continue on in the service together. We're going to sing here in a moment, but first, uh, let's just invite uh, the Spirit into this uh, with us. So pray with me, and then we'll continue on. Father, as we continue on in this series, learning, uh, growing in confidence of sorry, how to share the hope that is found in your son, Jesus, uh, we want to leave the morning um, filled up, emboldened, encouraged, uh, just to uh, take what we've experienced ourselves and share that same hope and promise with other people. So whatever it is that we need to hear, I pray that your spirit, that the words that come from the stage are crystal clear and cut us right to the heart so that we can leave uh, this building or leave our homes uh, looking more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we all pray together. Amen. Father in heaven, it's just, uh, it's just good to be in your presence. It's just good to be here and to draw near to you. We lift up to you our hearts, our worship, and our future. Father, you know all things, and you know what's going on on this planet, and you know the challenges we're facing right now with this pandemic, and we pray for all who are sick, including our president, friends, family members. We pray for all those who are recovering from the virus, those who are mourning loved ones who have been lost from the virus or lost during this season. We think of the four families in our sister churches in El Salvador that have lost loved ones from the pandemic. We pray for all those who are providing care in hospitals and clinics and doctor's offices. We pray for all those who are teaching in schools, for all those who are providing essential services. We pray for all those who are researching treatment plans and vaccines. Dear Lord, we pray for your healing, for your comfort, for your strength and peace. We pray for your guidance as a church, as we relaunch our kids and student ministry classes this weekend. We pray for your protection over our students and over our teachers. 
And we pray for more and more people and more and more families to begin to feel comfortable worshiping in person here in this place. And yet, Father, we're grateful for our technology that we're able to live stream those, to those that aren't able to be with us yet. Dear Lord, we pray for your spirit to be at work during our time together to touch hearts with your story of love and the story of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Well, last week, we kicked off a message series entitled, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. And as we began this series, we ask you how you felt about sharing your faith in Jesus with others. Not really that surprising. We found that more than half of you were either nervous or you felt unprepared to share your faith with others. We emphasized last week that with God's power working through us, we have all that we need to begin sharing our faith in Jesus with others. It was also interesting in our second poll, we asked what area of your life that you felt most comfortable to share with others and what came back really in a resounding way was that you felt most comfortable in sharing your life story with others. Really, that was fascinating because this week we're going to talk about how that we can just lean into that and learn how to be effective in sharing our faith with others. This week, as each week in this series, we're going to be looking at a guiding principle. This week, principle two of the series is you don't have to prove the claims of Christianity. You just need to present them clearly. And what I really believe the most effective way to present clearly the claims of Christianity is through telling Jesus' story, to tell the story of Jesus, but also to tell how that story intersects with your story individually and how that story intersects with our story collectively as a church. So let's start with telling our collective story. Here at Southwest, we're celebrating this weekend our 23rd anniversary as a church. Yeah, yeah. We began October 5th, 1997, so today's October 4th. But I'm personally celebrating today because Jane, my wife, and I are welcoming our fifth grandson who entered the world at 1240 this morning. No pictures today, but I'm sure photos will follow in, in weeks to come. But we're, so I'm pretty pumped today. Uh, baby and mother are doing fine. You know, but as I think about our 23-year history as a church, we began in a very non-impressive way. In the summer of 1997, there were seven families that started meeting in a home with a dream of starting a church in Southwest Ohio. I'm not in that photo because I took the photo, okay? And then we celebrated our first anniversary a year later in a, in a banquet center in Springboro, and, 
And although we weren't that impressive in our size or neither the leadership, as you can see, our young, dark-haired church planter, but God has been faithful to us as a church, and we've clung to our theme verse throughout our 23 years as a church, which states clearly now to him, to God, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. From the very beginning as a church, we've sought to be a church that exists to love God, love people, serve the community, and share Jesus. As you can see this in our very first, our original logo as a church. Now, after worshiping in three different rented facilities for the first 14 plus years, we moved into this building in 2012 with a new logo. And in that new logo, you can see there, we continue to emphasize those words, love, serve, and share. In fact, during the past six years, the past six falls, each fall, we have focused on one of those three words. This fall, we're focusing on the word share. And that's why we're talking about sharing Jesus without freaking out. Now back to our collective story. In 2017, after five years in this building, we were able to add phase two to make more room for the next generation. And it really seems appropriate as on a weekend that we're marking our anniversary that we would be relaunching our kids and student ministry classes this weekend at, during the 11 o'clock hour. As uh, we roll out our new times, I'm so encouraged. We had a good crowd, 830. I'm encouraged by all of you who've come at this 945 because we're trying to free up that 11 o'clock service to make as much room as possible for families to, to feel comfortable to come back and worship with us in person. You know, with that said, earlier this year, we began to poll other church leaders whom we respected. And we asked them what they thought of our previous uh, uh, logo. And the feedback we received wasn't that encouraging, okay? <laughs> the feedback wasn't that good. And so we thought, well, maybe it's time to roll out a new logo. So in August, we rolled out this logo to emphasize that as a church located in Southwest Ohio, we're committed to moving forward, taking up our cross and following after Jesus as head, heart, and hands followers of him. And maybe, just maybe, every time you see our logo, you'll be reminded of the one who first took up his cross and that you'll be encouraged to follow up after him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And by the way, we don't yet have uh, this logo on, on uh, shirts or sweatshirts, but we're going to be rolling that out in a couple weeks uh, on an online store. We'll have all kinds of Southwest swag to, to purchase. So you can be keeping tuned and we'll be getting that information out to you. But I want to thank so many of you for being faithful and hanging in there as a church during this difficult season that we as a country, the whole world is facing. 
This week I was on a phone call with church leaders from all over the nation. And my heart just broke to hear of churches that are going through a really tough time during this pandemic. Even heard of churches that, are, that have struggled so much that they're on the verge of closing their doors and, and calling it an end of their church's history. We're so thankful that that's not been the case at Southwest. We're so thankful that you guys have hung in there. We're thankful that, that your, your commitment to Christ, your commitment to the local church, we're thankful for your giving. You know, during a season that some churches have had to even let go of personnel, we're grateful that we've been able to even add staff during this season so that we can help deepen our connections with others because we think that's very, very important. Since the summer, we've been averaging about 200 people who are watching the live stream on demand or uh, online uh, during the live stream. Now that's going to be at 9.45. And for those of you who are watching on live stream, we're thankful for you. And we're grateful that you're keeping in touch. In September, we've seen more uh, uh, in-person attendance than the, the previous three months. As we've seen more and more people feeling comfortable to come back to in-person worship. We think that's important. We need each other. We need to be around each other. We need that encouragement to sing with one another. We need that. And I want to thank you for being doing your part of being cautious, wearing the mask, keeping the physical distance. I, I know that at times that's a challenge. It's, it's not convenient, but you know, the truth of it is we're all doing our part to make this a safe place for people to come back and worship in person. And now we're excited about bringing back our children and our students during the 11 o'clock hour. And as we're able to be successful and have the volunteers, we look forward to seeing that continue to develop. And I want to ask you to join me in praying that we can see more and more families come back and worship with us in person. As we continue as a church to focus on following Jesus and making disciples as a church, we're reminded that as we follow Jesus, that Jesus was a master at telling stories. He was truly a master storyteller. Why? Well, because as the authors of a book that, that we highlighted last week, entitled the same title of this series, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, and we have those available out in the uh, lobby. They wrote, stories are everywhere. They're common in our culture, in all cultures. People think in terms of stories. They live out stories. I might add, people remember stories better. And so many of Jesus' stories are so memorable. We're really leaning into this aspect of storytelling in our church-wide series this fall that we kicked off last week. And, and by the way, I've been receiving good feedback even after first hour. People were saying, man, I really enjoyed small group uh, last week. And that, that just warms my heart. I'm encouraged by that. But we want you to know it's not too late to jump into a small group.
Uh, we worked hard at writing these questions and writing the discussion questions in such a way that any week you could jump into the series, no matter where it was during the eight weeks. And so we want to invite you to jump into one this week. As you leave today, you can see in the lobby, there's a table with small group material. You can pick up a packet of questions that we're going to be talking about each week. If you're at home, you can go... Uh, uh, online and, and, and ask for that. We'd be glad to send that material to you so that you can be participating in this uh, time together. Also out in the lobby, you can see a listing of the small groups that are happening. And also those are on our website and we want to encourage you to do that. You can even click on a link and you can sign up and somebody will contact you and help you get involved in a small group. This week in small group, we're going to practice together and discuss the importance of telling the gospel story. And our hope is that everyone who participates in small group this week will be better prepared to share the simple gospel story that one early Christian follower, one early Christian leader, the Apostle Paul, described in a very simple way is this. He said, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Yes, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. That is good news. Great news. In 2004, a book entitled The Seven Basic Plots Why We Tell Stories, the author Christopher Booker identifies seven consistent plots that are in stories. And I wanted to share with you these plots because my, my belief is that the gospel story, the greatest story ever told, involves all these plot lines. But here are the seven stories, seven basic plots that, that this author identified. And, and this week in small group, we'll be talking about that and maybe how you see that play out in movies or novels that you read. Okay, so here are the list of seven types of stories. The first is overcoming the monster. I want you to think Dracula, James Bond, or Star Wars, okay? Second plot line, rags to riches. Think Cinderella, the prince and the pauper, or Brewster's millions. Think of the quest, Pilgrim's Progress, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of you love that. And for those of you who are, are very cultured like me, maybe you like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's an example of the quest. A fourth plot line is voyage and return. Think Alice in Wonderland, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, or maybe some of you remember the Back to the Future series. And then when it comes to comedy, okay, you got the classic of Midsummer Night's Dream. Maybe some of you ladies like Bridget, Bridget Jones' Diary or, or The Big Lebowski, okay, for some of you guys maybe. Tragedy, 
that plot line, you think of Julius Caesar, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, or for some of us, the Reds' 2020 playoff run. Tragic. Didn't even score a run. Set a record. Okay, we won't talk about that. Tragic. And then the final plot line is rebirth. The Frog Prince, Beauty and the Beast, or one of my favorites, Groundhog Day. I believe the gospel story, in the good news of Jesus Christ, we see elements of all these seven basic plots, which make it truly a memorable story. And you might want to even take a photo of this, of this, this screen to look at these seven plot lines because in our small groups this week, and we're going to, and to answer question one, we're going to talk about that, or question seven actually, and, and it's question one on our app if you're going to fill out the poll. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you've not yet uh, downloaded the Southwest app, I want to encourage you to do so. And question one this week is just which of those stories really resonates with you? Which of those plot lines? I'm curious to hear what it is for you. And yet in the rest of our time together, we want to examine one of Jesus' most famous stories, or as we commonly refer to them as parables. As we seek to answer the why behind the gospel story. As we seek to understand more fully how Jesus explained the telling of the why behind the story. One of Jesus' most famous stories or parables, in fact, it's so famous, I'm going to start the description of this story and I'm gonna let you finish it. It's the story of the prodigal Son. Some of your Bibles, if you, if you turn to Luke 15, you can read about this story. Maybe it has the subtitle, The Parable of the Lost Son. This is a great story. And it contains each of the plot elements that we discussed earlier. And the story is even more powerful if we understand the context in which Jesus told this story originally. Because he beautifully crafted this story to speak to an audience he was trying to connect with. And yet, let's take some time to wrestle with the context. Jesus is on the scene. His ministry is taking place. He's drawing more and more people to follow him. But what was the amazing thing was he was drawing the people that you wouldn't necessarily expect a religious leader would draw. He was drawing the irreligious. He was drawing the people that wouldn't be the type you'd call the, the everyday synagogue-going type people or the every week church-type going people. Those were the people that Jesus drew. And he spent time with them. He shared meals with them. And as a result of that, some of the religious elite were upset with Jesus and they were critical of him, of the people that he was hanging out with. They had bad reputations. They were notorious sinners. And in the midst of them criticizing Jesus, and as Jesus became aware of that criticism, 
He tells them three stories in sequence. The first of the stories is the story of a lost sheep. And then he follows that up with the story of a lost coin. And then the third story is our story for today, the story of the lost son. That's the story we want to focus on. Now, in this story, Jesus gets very personal because every family, I believe, has someone, if you look at the extended family, there's an example of someone who's lost their way at some point in the life of that family. Maybe you have been that person. Maybe you lost your way at one point. Maybe you have a child in your family right now that's lost their way. You see, this story just kind of grabs us where we're at. Jesus was masterful at that. As Jesus begins to tell this story, he tells of a father who has two sons. And in the story, the younger son comes to him and he does this amazing thing, this bold thing. He, he basically, in a sense, says, Dad, I can't wait till you die. I want my portion of the inheritance now. Now, in the Jewish world, the oldest son would get a double portion. So that would have meant this younger son, since there were just two, he would have got a third of everything the father owned. Now, here's the amazing thing in the story. The father gives it to him. Well, the younger son goes off to a distant country. And Jesus says he spends that inheritance in wild living. And then, as so often happens, tough times came. There was a famine throughout the land. The younger son becomes destitute. He becomes desperate. He hires himself out to a farmer in that distant land, and the job the farmer gives him is to feed the pigs. Now, you have to remember, for the Jewish people, the pigs were an unclean animal. It just doesn't get much lower than that. And in the story, Jesus says that this younger son is so hungry that the slop he's feeding the pig starts to look good. But you see, he was just simply a servant, so he couldn't eat it. He didn't have permission. And as he's wrestling with all this, he begins to think back to what it was when he lived at home with his dad. And he began to think about how that even his dad's servants were treated better than he was right now. Oh, so he comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to go back to my dad. And, and he rehearses the speech. And he says, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I just want you to treat me as one of your hired servants. Let's pick up the reading in verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Let's pause there for a minute. As you hear, as you read this description of the father in the story, what do you see? What do you hear? I see a father who's so full of love and so full of compassion. In fact, in my mind, I picture him for months, maybe years. We don't know how long the son was gone. Him looking down that road that the son had left, waiting, longing for him to return. And then one day he sees him coming. And he does the undignified thing of running after him. And then when the son begins to tell him his prepared practice speech, the father doesn't even let him finish. He interrupts him in mid-sentence and begins to lavish his love in the, in, in the form of gifts, a, a robe, a, a ring, sandals for his feet to cover his previous condition and to restore him to full status as a son. And then he goes beyond that. He says, let's throw a party. My son is home. Although this is a great story, it's a great story of love, grace, and redemption, this is not the end of the story. In fact, I don't even think this is the point of the story. Remember the context. Remember, there's another brother, isn't there? There's an older brother. And the older brother, the hardworking person he was, he's out in the field working for his father. And all of a sudden, he begins to hear the noise of singing, of music, of, of dancing. He's going, what's going on? And he, he turns to one of his father's servants and says, what's happening back at the house? And, and he says, your younger brother has come home and your dad's throwing a party for him. Let's pick up the reading in verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. 
And everything I have is yours. Remember, he gave the other part to the younger son. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. What do you see in this portion of the story? I see a compassionate father is going after another son. This time the son had never physically left the property, but he had missed the whole point of the father. He was just as far away from the father as the younger brother, but he didn't realize it. This son was all caught up in doing the right things for the father, but he had not yet caught the heart of the father. Can you relate to this story? I can. Who are you in this story? That's our second poll question on our app. I really want to hear from you. Who are you in this story? Some of you are the younger brother. You've wandered away. It's time to come home. Some of you are the older brother. Physically, you haven't left. You've been doing all the right things. You've been checking all the right boxes. But if you're really honest with yourself, your heart is far from the Father. You don't have the Father's heart of love and compassion and eagerness and willingness to forgive others. You've missed the heart. You've missed the why of the story. You see, I'm convinced that this older brother is the reason that Jesus told the story. You see, the context is the people were upset that Jesus was spending time with the irreligious. People were upset that Jesus was spending time with the sinners. And Jesus is making the point loud and clear. Hey, gang, you've missed the point. That's why I came. I came for people who are lost. I came for people who need forgiveness and redemption. That's the why behind my story. That's the why behind the gospel story. Jesus came to save sinners like the younger brother. He came to save sinners like me. And if you're willing to accept it, he came to save sinners like you. And yet some of us are stuck in the older brother syndrome. We're so busy trying to earn our way to heaven and we're so focused on doing all the right things that we've lost sight of the Father's love and compassion for all. It's so easy to lose sight of the why behind this great story of the gospel. And what is the why? What is the why of the gospel? That lost people matter to God. And you know what? If we want to embrace the Father's heart, lost people need to matter to us. 
That's why we're doing this series, sharing Jesus with, without freaking out. Because there's a lot of people in our world that need to hear this great news. And we've got to embrace the heart of the Father and want to tell them. The one constant in this story is the Father who represents God, who deeply desires to have a strong relationship with each and every person on this planet, with each and every one of us. And he's willing to run after us and meet us where we are. He's even willing to tell a story to help us see self-righteousness in our life so that we can get over ourselves and come to the feast that he's invited us to. Each week here at Southwest, we celebrate a feast. You might say, well, it doesn't seem like much of a feast. Maybe you picked up a communion kit as you came in. It's just a little piece of bread and a little cup of of juice, that doesn't sound like a feast to me. But the truth is, if we get the why behind this, if we can embrace why Jesus came, if we can embrace why Jesus had to die on the cross, it's a feast. Jesus came. He died on a cross. And through the grace of God that's extended to us through him, we are all invited to a feast. You see, we get a seat at the table, not because we deserve it, but because we have a loving father that invites us in and says he'll cover our shame. He'll cover our guilt. And he'll treat us as a son and daughter. Because, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us so much. Jesus paved the way for us to this feast through his death. Let's remember it now as we pray and then participate in communion together. Father, thank you that lost people matter to you. Help us right now as we participate in this time of communion that without your intervention, without the love of Jesus Christ, we would have all turned away and lost our way. We thank you that in your love, you came running after us. Thank you that you came running after me. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus died for me and died for all of us. Help us recognize that we've been invited to this feast. And only because of your love, and the love of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Let's allow the feast of celebrating with the Father not end here, but extend throughout this week. Some of you have been maybe thinking about returning to the Father for some time. And maybe for you, it's finally just making the decision to turn, to come to your senses and turn and come back to the Father, a Father that's inviting you. If that's you, we'd love to know about it. We have some material we cover with people here called Starting Point, and you can just simply text that number and say, point, and to let us know you're at that point that you want somebody to talk with you about how you can start that new life in Christ. If you've already made that turn, then we want to invite you at this time to stand and raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. You've been invited to the feast. And while we sing this song, pray for an opportunity to tell this great story to someone else this week. Let's stand and sing.